Okay. All right, we're going to be looking at Titus again tonight. Titus 3. Probably be the um, the last time that we, uh, in this study, that we look at Titus uh, as far as our using it for our main passage. Probably look at it again. But So we're still talking about the grace-filled life. Titus chapter 3. I am going to, I'm going to, Back up a little bit here for us reading, though, and, and catch a good chunk of this together. So, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm going to get us down to chapter 3, about verse 8 or so. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Notice we've seen that in every case so far. Self-control. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. All right, let me stop there. So let's um, tonight I, I wanted to come back to this um, uh, thing we've been talking about here and, and, and uh, pick up on this phrase that he uses twice here. Um, a little bit different wording, but, but uh, the same idea in verse 8 and in verse 14. And that is, he says, devote. He tells Titus to instruct his hearers to devote themselves to good works. So that's the, that's the theme for tonight, all right? Be, de, being devoted to good works. And then the, the background, again, the, the, the context, if, uh, and, and this is the reason I wanted to read all of chapter 2 with it, it's just to help us get the thought flow, because he's he's laying out instructions like we saw in the first part of chapter two. He says, um, uh, "Teach uh, first tells Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine." And then he he gives instruction for the older men; they're to be sober-minded, dignified, and so forth. Older women in verse three, likewise, are to be reverent uh, in behavior, and and he goes through. Um, Instruction there, and as I said earlier, notice all, th- all three of these, older men, older women, younger men, all uh, include self-control. That's, that's, uh, that's one of the main themes running through here. Um, and then he gives instruction for bond slaves, servants, bond servants, slaves, in, in uh, chapter 2. And then, in verse 11, which we've talked about quite a bit, He's giving a reason for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. So, in other words, he's saying here's here's how we are to live as as Christians. With again, with with specifics. Remember what I was pointing out um, last week. This what we're talking about here is, is rubber meets the road Christianity because this is this is where it plays out horizontally. Um, it it. In other words, godly living um, has to do with relationships. It's not, it's not just, probably all of us here, when we come to know the Lord, you, you might think of certain um, habits maybe that you changed or gave up or whatever the case was. And, and that's really where... Uh, the world puts emphasis, if the world thinks about it at all, but, but let's, let's say it this way. That's, that's, that's where cultural Christianity puts the emphasis on, on fitting a certain, um, a certain idea that we've kind of come up with of what Christians ought to uh, look like, think like, act like, and, and it doesn't always come from the scripture, scripture, and that's what I was talking about last week. 
Um, but we kind of figure, well, if we, if we don't do certain things, and if we do cert, other certain things, that, um, that we're okay and, and, and we're living godly. So, you know, you can think of things like don't, don't drink, don't smoke, you know, don't cuss, you know, don't beat your wife or don't, you know, wives, don't beat your husband, you know, that kind of thing. Don't do that and you're living godly. But when the Scripture talks about living godly, I mean, of course, those things are included. And you can think of other things like sexual immorality that, that we, we see mentioned repeatedly in the Scripture. Uh, some of the things that we think of as the, the big sins. Of course, those things are included, but... It, it, it goes a lot further than that. And, and, uh, and really, even those things, what it all has to do with is how we love one another. So, you, you know, you've probably heard, for example, uh, before, the, the, the Ten Commandments are, are, are traditionally broken up into, you know, they call it, they're called the two tables of the law. Um, and we, although we don't know for sure exactly how, how God... Um, place them on the tablets. You know, the, the idea is kind of like you got the one tablet with the first four commandments, which are, which are Godward, and, and then the, the other, um, the other commandments have to do with horizontal relationships. You know, don't, where, where the, the first table is, you know, love the Lord is, uh, uh, you don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, you have no other God before me. Um, remember the Sabbath day and so forth. It's all God work. But then the second table is, you know, don't lie, don't steal, um, don't commit adultery. So, so you've got vertical and you've got horizontal. And that's, that's the way it always plays out. It's always our, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. So, so godly living, that, that's what it has to do with. It's not just... Um, me achieving some um, some ideal, so that I can consider myself godly. But it's it's how I treat other people, and that's that's always the case. So that's why that's why the the writers of the New Testament get so practical. You know, Paul he's he's telling Titus, here's here's how I want them to act toward one another. And, and you, you've got other instances of this in Colossians and in Ephesians where very similar, um, very similar uh, practical application. And so he does that in the first part of chapter 2 and then he gives the reason, right? It's because the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us. And that's where we put the focus on the last couple of weeks. And by the way, remember that word appeared there. For the grace of God, or that phrase, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And we talked quite a bit about that, but I want to mention it again here in a few minutes. Uh, we'll come to a sim- similar phrase. So, the grace of God appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Now, there's kind of a summation. He's already given some very practical descriptions. And now you can kind of sum it up this way. We are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. That is godlike, mimicking God. Uh, that's important to think that way too, because we're going when he says the grace of God has appeared. He's, what he's saying is God saved us, and he's going to go on to show um, that God had grace and mercy toward us, in spite of us, in spite of who we are. And so that's how he wants us to 
to uh, conduct ourselves toward other people. So, the grace of God has appeared training us to renounce ungodliness and to live, and we talked about those uh, negative and then positive aspects, renounce ungodliness and then to live godly, while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So, in, in other words, again, as he says here, in, in this present age, the grace of God is training us how to live godly, which means how to act toward one another, how we are to, how we are to conduct ourselves in this present age. And then he goes on to say, Christ... Um, he says, while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So He bought us out of that old conduct, the, our old way of life. And He did that to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So Paul is saying, uh, this is, this is um, how Christianity plays out in our lives. This is, Jesus redeemed us out of ungodliness. And by the grace of God, we're being taught by God to renounce ungodliness and to live godly. So He's purchased us so that He would have for His own possession a people who are zealous for good works. So he goes on, so remind them, Titus, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive. We talked about this last week, the, the mindsets here, submission and obedience. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. That is, be good citizens. So here's another relationship. We talked about uh, older men, older women, and how they're to treat the younger, uh, how they're to, to uh, set an example for and teach the younger women. Talk about slaves uh, to their masters. Now he's talking about citizens, you know, Christians in general toward um, rulers. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient and be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one. Literally, the word there is blaspheme. You know, don't, don't blaspheme anybody. Don't, don't speak evil of them. Anybody. Um, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy. So we got negatives and positives again. Um, we're to be submit. We're to be submissive, obedient, and then here are the negatives. Don't don't speak evil of anyone. It's put in negative form. That is, don't speak evil of anyone. Don't quarrel, and then positives. But be gentle, and show perfect courtesy. I mean, these are good opposites. Instead of quarreling, be gentle. Right? Instead of speaking evil, show perfect courtesy. <laughs> and, and he's saying this is, this is how, this is what living out godliness looks like. It, it's, it's, never, um, it's never isolated. It's never just an individual. You know, you, when... Um, you know, Chad Brand was here. He talked a little bit about the uh, uh, monks, and and sometimes that's the way people think of living godly. It's like, well, you need to go off somewhere, you know, preferably uh, like in the Swiss Alps or something. I don't know, but so you you go off somewhere where you're totally isolated, 
and you get away from everybody, and all you do is maybe meditate and pray and read and, uh, and don't have any human contact, and, and you have the perfect godly uh, life. But that's not the way the Scripture lays out Christianity. It's not the way, way it's described here. It's, again, it's always having to do with, uh, with our conduct, with interaction with others. All right, so verse 3, or verse 2, he said, Be gentle and show perfect courtesy to all. For, here's another reason clause, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What's, what's his... And, and, and this is not rhetorical. I mean, you can answer this. What, what, what's his reason for bringing that up right there? Absolutely. Absolutely. He said, remind them, which in this case would be us, remind, remind them to be submissive and so on and so forth, live godly. And then he gives, like you said, gives as a reminder, re- remember where you came from, where we came from. Because we were in the same shoes. We ourselves, and notice, by the way, Paul uh, includes himself there with the, with the word we. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. So, yeah, the point is, we're no different. We're no different. And it was when we were there that God manifested His grace to us. So, so we can't, and he's going to go on to make this point, but we, we, we can't. Look at any accomplishment on our part and say, well, the difference in them and me is, you know, thus and so, whatever it is. You know, I, I just wasn't as bad of a person. Uh, no, Paul's saying we, we were in the same shoes, and yet it was then that God came to us, made himself known to us. So, and that's verse 4. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And this whole thing, I mean, he's kind of like doing parallelisms. I mean, he keeps saying the same thing in a little different ways and, and putting the same contrast. You know, uh, you got, you know, like, do this and here's why for this reason. And then you've got examples of godliness and examples of ungodliness, and he's doing this over and over. So if you compare verse 4 with verse 11 back in chapter 2, for, you know, he's kind of like starting over again, right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. So he kind of makes a general statement back in 2.11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all. And then in 3.4, goodness and loving kindness, another way of saying grace, appeared saving us. He saved us. He saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, because... Um, he's already said, we were disobedient, led astray, foolish, slaves to various passions and pleasures. So God's grace didn't appear to us or His, His loving kindness, goodness didn't appear to us because of our works, but because of His mercy. 
And he draws that contrast there. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. A good reason for that, because we don't, we don't have any. <laughs> Our, what we think of as, as righteousness, and always, um, we always think of the Isaiah passage, Isaiah 64. Our righteousnesses are what? As filthy rags. That's right. So, so the best that we've got to offer, if it depends on us, the, the best that we have to offer is disgusting to, to God. Now, no, you, you may say, well, that's not a very nice thing to think about. Not very encouraging. Um, but <laughs> but that's, that's what grace is. I mean, we, we did not deserve salvation. And he just out of out of love he put it on us. All right. So that's what he says. It's not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So, in other words, the grace of God has appeared to us, or the way he says it here, the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared to us, and he saved us, he rescued us out of out of um, disobedience and foolishness and so forth. Not because of something we did, but just out of His own mercy, according to His own mercy. He just decided to have mercy on us. And how did He do it? By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Um... In terms of being godly, we're thinking about, you know, Paul's telling Titus to tell us how to live, how to be Christians in this world. So when we think about how to be godly, and he's already given us reasons, well, it's because God has shown grace to you, is essentially what he's saying. God's shown grace to us, so we ought to be gracious in our dealings with other people. But now, now he's also... Um, giving giving us something else here, so I'm, I'm going to put it in question form first. So, so in verse um, five, when he says, "According to his own mercy, by this is what I'm getting to, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior." All right, what what is what does that have to do with godly living? What why are those things important? in instructing us how to live godly. Amen. That's right. Because it's the power, right? Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, He's given us reasons already. You know, we should act this way because God's had grace on us. But now He's saying, you've, you've got the ability. God's giving the ability too. It's not just, it's not just that, well, like, like you... Um, and not, he's not saying, okay, like you owe God or something like that. We can't re- repay God for grace or anything like that. But he's saying, you, you, you do this, you've got a motive. God's, God's grace on us should motivate us to be gracious to others. And, and then if we are wondering, and, and it would be logical, you know, we, we wonder, well, but how? You know, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a sinner like they are sinners. I'm still struggling with sin. Well, Paul says he's, he's equipped us or empowered us by the washing of regeneration. In other words, there's, there's a, a cleansing that has taken place in us. So we're not 
we're not different in in essence from from uh, people that are still lost or out in the world or you know whoever it is whoever we're, we're thinking of here is he's telling us to be gracious and um, we're we're not different essentially than those people who um, we see as wicked, evil, or or who get on our nerves or whatever the case is, but we have been changed. We have been cleansed the washing of regeneration what is regeneration made new yeah yeah you get a what is in in uh, ezekiel he says we get a new heart right take out the this heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and flesh in that passage is a good thing by the way just just means you know um Stone, you know, something that, that's, that's hardened that won't give, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh, something that's pliable in, in the good, in the good Soft. way. Hmm? Soft heart. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, very good. Very good. Soft heart. So, yeah, especially when you're thinking toward God, because um, that is what he's talking about, first and foremost. So we're, we're hardened toward God, and so what's he do? Gives us a, a heart that is soft towards him. So he turns us from being God-haters to being God-lovers. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, if we, if we got a new heart, compassion, right? We'd, we'd, we'd be compassionate. So, um, so this is how, you know, by, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, so God is, has, has given us a new heart. And then, you know, and now we're going through this sanctification process. And, um, of course, the term renewal there makes me think of, of Romans 12, too. You know, be, be renewed. Um, you know, don't be conformed to this, uh, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So, so there's, there's change. Change has taken place in us, and change is, is still taking place in us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly. So, so you know, we were foolish, disobedient. I mean, I mean He uses some, um, some language there to show how bad we were. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. What does God do with us when we were in that state? Pour out. His Spirit on us, and I mean, uh, the, the, you know, that's literally the word that he's using there. It's just so it's just the idea of like just dumping out, you know, the the goodness, the blessings, um, the grace uh, on us while we were yet sinners, like Paul says in Romans. While we were ungodly, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace. It's along the lines of what we talked about Sunday. Grace, uh, faith alone. We're justified by His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And, and uh, this saying, um, Paul says, is trustworthy. So, it's by... By the washing of, of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs. And, and again, notice the, the, when, he, when He mentions justification, so that being justified by His grace. Because again, He's just said, it's, it's not of works, uh, by works of righteousness which we did, but according to His mercy. So, so we're justified by His grace. And it's so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So yeah, his whole thing here is, you know, we didn't do anything to earn this and deserve it. It's just all of grace. It's it's God's mercy. In fact, I was looking at this this morning and uh I looked at uh I put down a quote here from Paul David Tripp because uh he puts a you know, he'll he'll put something on Facebook and Twitter and uh, you know, I was sitting here looking at this, and then I and then I saw his post on Twitter, and this is what he had put today, this morning. Grace gives you the desire to resist sin, the power to defeat sin, and the wisdom to protect yourself from it in the future. It's all grace. And I just thought, man, that's really similar, you know, to what we're looking at here in Titus, because grace gives you the desire to resist sin, and that's what he says. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness. And that's the idea there, resisting sin. And the power to defeat sin. So, and that's what Paul's getting at here because uh, he's telling us that God has, God has cleansed us by His Spirit and, and, you know, empowered us to do what He's telling us to do, which is be uh, graceful in our, in our interactions with other people. So yeah, it's all of grace. I mean, the, from from uh, the beginning of our experience with Christ, you know, regeneration, um, all the way through, it's all of grace. And of course, even further back than that, uh, He chose us before the foundation of the world. All right. So then He says, verse eight again, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So this, this is where he's going with all of this. I mean, this is his, the running theme here. He wants those of us who, who believe to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And that's that's um, that's what we are, are are to be engaged in. You know, things that are are profitable. That's the kind of things we're to speak. You know, rather than the gossip, the the um, like like over here, don't blaspheme anybody. You know, don't don't um, speak evil of anybody. Says in verse two. Um, so so in other words, speak things that are profitable. Don't uh, don't do evil. Don't you know? Don't be quarreling. Don't be disobedient, don't be uh, slaves to various passions and pleasures, but, but um, be godly in all conduct, in all of our conduct, and, and in other words, devoting ourselves to good works, to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid, and he goes back to some negatives again, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. 
So, so he's just simply saying, you know, make, make sure that we are in, engaged in things that have to do with edification. I mean, we, we want to, um, it's like I've said before, the, the, the two E's, the two E's, right? Anybody remember what those are? Evangelism and edification. We, we talked about that quite a bit when we were working our way through 1 Corinthians. It's always good to remember the, those, the, the two E's there because if we're, if we're talking about dealing with people outside of Christ, then our focus is evangelism. So, so we want to do good works. We want to be engaged in good works um, for their salvation. In other words, we, we want to be a witness to them is the way we normally say it. But, but that's, how, that's how we witness. We, we want to be engaged in the kind of speech that would show them the grace of God. You know, they can hear it coming off of our tongue, out of our hearts. We want to be doing things that would demonstrate for them the grace of God um, for their salvation. So, so that's evangelistic, being devoted to good works for the salvation of those around us. And in terms of brothers and sisters in Christ, it's always going to be edification. In other words, they already know the Lord, so what do we want to do? Build them up. Matter of fact, it's good to think of it um, in a corporate sense, because that's usually the way the it's presented in the Scripture. In other words, we, we, we're building up the church of God. Building up Fillmore Baptist Church. Um, so, that, so we want to be engaged in the, this kind of speech that will have that effect of building one another up rather than tearing each other down and engaged in the kind of conduct that will have that effect, building one another up, avoiding, as Paul says, foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Why? Because these things are unprofitable and worthless. And don't, you know, kids don't do this at home, but if, if you stab yourself in the thigh with a pencil or something, who hurts? You do, right? Yeah, right. So... If I stab Ronnie in the back, you know, figuratively, so to speak, uh, who hurts? Christ does. Remember the Damascus Road? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because the church is his body. So if, if I attack my brother or sister in Christ, I'm attacking Christ. He feels the pain. He feels the persecution. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul couldn't say, well, I, you know, I wasn't persecuting you. <laughs> I was persecuting your people. Well, that's, that's the body. That's the body of Christ. That's his bride. Another way, another metaphor, a way, way of looking at it too. You wouldn't, uh, you know, you, you attack somebody's bride and you're going to have them on you probably. Um, and certainly in, in the case with Christ. So, yeah, we, so we want to be engaged in um, speech and conduct that builds up, builds up, devoted to good work. He uses the phrase again in verse 10, and I'll, we'll finish here. As for a person who stirs up division, and I thought it was interesting that he put this little note here about, um, about um, discipline. He tells Titus, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. All right, um, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is, he is self 
condemned. Um, so, like I say, it's always just interesting that he put that there, but, th- but that is the opposite of everything he's been talking about. In other words, you, you, you either, we either love the way that he's describing here and, and try to, and, and are devoted to good works, you know, building, uh, devoted to good works for the sake of evangelism, for the sake of edification, and so forth, or in the, in the case with the church, we are, we are stirring up division. In other words, if we're speaking evil of one another, like, like he says here, then that's stirring up division. Or, or if we're mistreating one another, that's stirring up division. And it goes back to the analogy I was using just a moment ago. If we're, we're doing that, it's, it's Christ that we're actually attacking or hurting. All right, so then he says, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And he uses a different word there than in verse 8, but, um, it's, just, but it's a synonym. So, devote, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Probably uh, may very well have in mind the, uh, the words of the Lord there uh, when Jesus talks about doing good works, being fruitful for the glory of the Father. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. All right, any, any thoughts? All right. Well, let's, let's pray again and we'll, we'll dismiss.